Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 24, 36 through 49, and it can be found on page 885 in your church Bibles. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let me say welcome again, and we are glad that you are with us this morning. Welcome to Capital Press Fairfax. My name is Rob, and I am a pastor here. Um, if you took advantage of our discounted room rate last night, we hope that you enjoyed your stay. <laughs> Didn't really have that. Um, we are talking about doubt this morning, though, and I've got to be honest, I did doubt that some of you were going to be able to walk past the breakfast buffet and actually... <laughs> make it here to our service. So well done for those of you that did. Uh, This morning we're carrying on on in our series, Answer the King, where we're looking at the questions that Jesus asked people. Uh, Last week we looked at anxiety and James spoke about uh, how Jesus meets us in our anxiety and transforms us Again, this morning we're looking at doubt and we're going to, the scene that Luke has for us is a scene some 2,000 years ago where a group of people are gathered, them and their doubts at a particular place. And that set me off thinking, I wonder what places doubt has crept in in your life. Like, Like where have those places been? Maybe it was a doctor's room uh, when you heard that diagnosis Uh, for yourself or for an aging parent or for an unborn child and doubts arrived. Or or maybe it's in a basement, maybe it's in a friend's basement, you're in middle school and you're hanging out and up until now this Christian stuff, this faith stuff has kind of been something you went along with with your parents but here in this basement your friend says something or does something and now you're like, well, I, I don't know what I believe. Um, maybe it's a college professor in a lecture hall that says something, makes a claim, and, and you don't know how to respond or answer that claim, and so then here comes some doubts. Maybe the place uh, is a room in a church where doubts found you, a room in a church or a church member's home, and in that place you experienced abuse. And so now you don't know what in the world to believe. Uh, for me in my life, oftentimes it's been um, lying in bed at night, the, the world is quiet, but sleep eludes me. And there in the quiet, sometimes doubts creep into my mind 
uh, where is it for you? You know, we live in a city in and in a context where um, in some ways it can be even hard to speak about our doubts, right? Like some, I wonder, do you feel alone in your, your doubts? Everyone walks around here so self-assured, right? We, uh, uh, we would never want to give a hint of uncertainty whether it comes to our politics or our profession. And so uh, we keep our doubts to ourselves. Um, and in isolation, they... They flourish, they fester, and they grow. Um, but there's hope for us this morning. Uh, we are in good company when it comes to our doubts because this grace that we talk about, this grace that we preach about, changes everything, including fearful doubters. And so we're going to look a bit at the context kind of what Luke has uh, here for us, and then we're, we're going to see how Jesus engages doubt and doubters. But for, first, let's, let's go to God and ask him to speak to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Mighty and merciful Father, w- would you speak to us this morning? Would you speak to kids in first grade and second grade? Would you, would you speak to those of us in our 60s and our 70s and, and everyone in between uh, no doubt this morning there are those here this morning uh, who, who struggle with doubt. Uh, may, maybe some who have let their doubts prevent them from ever believing in Jesus in the first place. Maybe some of us who have believed for a long time, but yet still there's nagging doubts in our lives. Would you meet us now wherever we're at and would you speak to us by your spirit? Would you help us to see your son and understand your scriptures? It's in his name we pray. Amen. When it comes to our passage this morning, we've literally kind of flipped to the back of Luke's gospel, the very uh, end of his book, and we're looking at the last few sentences there that he's written about the life of Jesus. And there's a lot that's going on, right? Like in the previous verses, their friend, their teacher has just been killed, has just been murdered, has been crucified. So imagine losing your best friend. Imagine losing one that you loved and that you learned from. He's just been killed. And uh, on top of that, they know full well that they abandoned him in his darkest hours. So they're wrestling with that. But then there's been these, these rumblings and these rumors that something's going on, right? Some women went and, and saw that the tomb was empty. They spoke to an angel. These guys were walking on this road to a village called Emmaus, and they had this interesting experience. Even two of the disciples themselves ran to the the tomb and saw that it was empty. So all this is going on. Needless to say, they've got a lot to process right now, right? And so there they are processing all that has happened, and Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus appears with them. We see there in verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Uh, First point this morning for us is Jesus makes room for doubters. Point number one, Jesus makes room for doubters. He steps into the scene where they are processing all that's going on and, and what are his first words to them? Peace to you, right? He steps in and these are his first words to these fearful and doubting guys. He says, peace to you. We, we should realize that this could have gone radically different, 
right? His, his first words could have been something altogether different. Um, this is a extravagant grace that he's showing by saying peace to you, right? Because he could have been perfectly justified if his first words when he showed up with these fellows were, um, really? Really? Like three years of my life and these countless miracles and you guys leave me hanging in the garden of Gethsemane? Right, yeah, and speaking of hanging, when I was on the cross, I looked out and I saw a few women from our group, but you guys were nowhere to be found. Hey, Peter, how did that rooster crow sound? He could have been perfectly justified in saying those things to these guys, or he could have been justified in saying, uh, hey, guys, I'm glad you're all here. I need to say something to you guys. Um, I'm gonna go with a different squad, all right? Like, if you guys are still doubting now and still here, this whole thing's kind of hopeless. Like, I'm gonna need to do better than this. But Jesus doesn't say that, right? He shows up to these fearful and doubting disciples uh, and he says, peace to you. And friends, that's good news. At least to someone like me, that's good news. For someone who doubted for almost uh, you know, half of their life who Jesus was, it's, it's good news to me that he makes room for doubters and he shows grace to those who doubt. Um, maybe you haven't doubted. Let me ask you, do, do you have room for those who doubt? Uh, how do you respond? How do you engage with those that doubt in, in your workplace, at home, at your school? Um, how do you make room for those that doubt around you? Maybe you've believed most of your life, and that's great, and that's something to be excited about. But do you have room for those that doubt? Or do you scoff at them? Do you kind of laugh at them, or do you say, like, the nerve of these people. Um, I am so thankful for a small town Southern Baptist church and a Christian family that took in a doubting, skeptical kid and showed him love, right? If, if we, uh, towards the end of our Bibles, right before Revelation, there's this little book called Jude. And in Jude 22, uh, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. I'm thankful that people in my life did that. Good to know that Christianity has had space for skeptics from the very beginning, right? All, all of these disciples, we see them doubting, and it's not just Luke's gospel uh, that has it. If you look at every one of the gospels, you see that, that all of them are doubting, all right? We need to be clear. It's not just doubting Thomas, all right? It's doubting everybody. And um, think for a second, if you were going to script uh, a major world religion, something you really wanted to catch fire, something you really wanted to take off, would you actually say, yeah, the, the key leaders of it actually didn't know whether or not it was true from the word go? But that's exactly what we see here. We see skeptics and doubters from the beginning, and it gives us hope, and it gives us courage. Uh, maybe some of us are those who... Um, need to make room for doubters. Maybe some of us are those who are doubting and we need to take seriously the claims of Jesus Christ. All right, or we need those in our lives. We need to lean in with them and help them take seriously the claims of Jesus Christ because in my experience, sometimes there are those who remain in doubt, but like it's this willful ignorance. Like I don't even wanna know, right? Like that was me agnostic, 18-year-old, there was a lot of ways I didn't want to know because if I know, then um, 
I'm liable to it. Then I have to live in light of it. And so we need to make sure that we're not those uh, that are just kind of staying at a distance. This uh, safe and content skepticism was spoken to by a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He was a British writer, poet, philosopher. He says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Rare is the person that I meet that's uh, battling with doubt that has sincerely kind of investigated all of the claims of scriptures and who Jesus is and then said no. More times than not when I meet someone who has kind of um, decided not to consider the faith, it's because they have a superficial notion of what Christianity is. Uh, And so they've said no to that superficial notion or... um, Maybe they don't want to change their lives upon what they hear, and so they've shied away from it. Or maybe something's, there's been an event in their life, and they say, you know, I can't, from what I know of Christianity, I just can't reconcile those things. Um, If you're in a place of doubt this morning, let me ask you to lean in and sincerely and, and seriously consider the claims of Christianity. Jesus makes room for doubters, and that should give us great hope. So if you're here and you're in doubt, uh, whether you've been a believer for a long time and it's just this nagging doubt, or or maybe you've never believed, don't let your doubt drive you away or distance you from Jesus. Come to him. Bring your doubts and your questions to Jesus. He's big enough to answer them. Point one, Jesus makes room for doubters. Point two, Jesus responds to doubters, all right? So he doesn't leave them in their doubt. He just doesn't show up on the scene and say, you're doubting, that's okay, let's just stay here. He responds to doubt as well. Um, Luke goes on to say that they thought they saw a spirit and he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. You see, Jesus wants to make it clear that the gospel isn't just a ghost story, all right, that he has risen in the flesh. He says, actually, you can touch me. Like, the word there is grab. I know we have some kids here this morning. All right, I'm gonna give you some permission to move around in church right now. Kids, you can grab the arms of the adult sitting near you, okay? Don't grab your, like, siblings because then something will get started and I'm gonna be responsible for that. But, uh, but right, Jesus literally says to the disciples, hey, you can grab, uh, and he's not talking about a gentle poke. He's saying, oh, firmly grab and see that I am real. I am here. I am in the flesh. Give me some food because spirits and ghosts don't consume meals. Let me make sure you know it's really me. I have physically resurrected. You guys who are doubting, check it out. Look, it's me. Use all of your senses to figure this out. All right? And others have made the point, and I think it's a helpful one for us to to make, that often we can quickly dismiss the the resurrection and and we can think something like this. Well, you know, we have this modern scientific worldview, right? And here are these kind of poor, primitive people, and they believed in miracles all the time. And so, of course, yeah, they were good with the resurrection. Um, But friends, the text and our understanding of history just doesn't let us believe that. All right. It makes it clear that that is not the case. Let's start with the text, right? Like, so when he's resurrected, it's not like they they said, oh yeah, we knew you could do it. We've we've been waiting on you. Here, Here you are. Great. Well, you finally made it, right? They weren't expecting this. 
They, they, they were the, the physical resurrection of an individual in the middle of history. That wasn't a plausible option to them. And we see it in the text. They were surprised, right? Even after they touched him, it's not like they touched him and said, oh, okay, now we're good, right? The text says that they were still disbelieving even after touching them. So we see the text doesn't, makes it clear that these weren't people that were thinking like, oh yeah, we're, we're expecting the resurrection. And, and history itself won't let us believe that as well. There's no really world view in the first century that had a place for this kind of individual resurrection, physical, in the middle of history, right? Jewish worldview, really the only time the Old Testament speaks of it uh, clearly there is in, in Daniel chapter 12, and it talks about a resurrection that's going to happen at the end of time for all when the new world is, is renewed. So that, that is Jewish worldview, they wouldn't have been thinking like, oh yeah, th- this, is a, a, this is a legit possibility. Roman worldview, Greek worldview, none of them would have made space for this kind of, uh, of occurrence, all right? So our modern worldview or their worldview, yes, so there were, um, there were in history other Jewish revolutionaries, and, and the authorities did uh, find them, detain them, and kill them. But as one scholar said, um, at that point, you had two options, right? Uh, you know, you... Uh, either had to give up or you had to go and find a new leader. The scholar says claiming that your original leader had been resurrected claiming that your original leader had been resurrected was not an option unless of course he was. So don't be uh, too quick to dismiss the resurrection as some kind of psychological projection of a primitive people. All right, their worldview didn't have a place for it just like ours, but yet here they are engaging with a physical Jesus in front of them. All right, um, it's not just flesh and bones that he, he points out to them, but he actually responds to their doubt more in verse 44. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus says, hey guys, guys, we talked about this, right? Okay, like we, we talked about this. I showed you all the places in scripture and you walk them through. Here's all the places where it pointed to the resurrection, where it pointed to my life and death and me raising again. And again, this is gracious because he's saying, guys, I don't want your foundation for your faith even to be just this miracle. All right, I, I don't want the foundation for your faith just to be this experience. I think some of us think, well, if I just had the right experience, then maybe I could believe. But he's saying, guys, no, I want your faith to be rooted in the word of God. I want you to see that Moses wrote about this, that the Psalms sing about it, that the prophets point to it, that for, for centuries in different times and places, people from all walks of life have been pointing to this. He's telling the disciples, your faith isn't built on this little secret experience you've now had of a resurrection. You know, your faith isn't like, it's not like Mormonism where Joseph Smith finds some golden plates and he shows them to a few other guys and then he hands them back to the angel for no one else to know about or see. Uh, Your faith as Christians is not like Islam where Muhammad goes into a cave 
and supposedly has a conversation with Gabriel, but that's all we have to trust when it comes to the faith there. No, over centuries, God has been pointing to and speaking to people in different times and places to a Christ that would be publicly crucified and publicly rise again. And he wants these disciples to know that, and so he responds to them in that way. Let's move on to our final point. Well, before we do that, let's look at uh, verse 45. If you're into underlining your Bibles, underline verse 45 for me, all right? It says, he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, all right? And I think it's important for us not to, to, to miss that because we need to realize for any of us to see and know God as we ought, to any of us to, to have our doubts met, we need God to do something in us that we can't do for ourselves. We need our hearts and minds and eyes and ears to be opened, all right? Let me ask you, with your doubts, have you asked God to do this very thing? Have you asked him to open your hearts and mind? Uh, not hearts, just one heart. Hopefully you just have one heart. Um, heart and mind to experience who he is and to hear from him and, and see who he is in the midst of your doubts. Uh, if you have friends that are doubting, do you pray that God would do this thing right here? that he would open up their minds to the scriptures, to who he is. I hope you notice that before every time we pray up here, I mean, I'm sorry, before every time we preach up here, we pray and ask God to do this very thing, to open our minds, eyes, ears, and hearts so that we might experience him. All right, Jesus makes room for doubters. Uh, he responds to doubters. And last thing, he recommissions doubters. We see it there, verse 48, he says, listen, Fellas, you're not primarily marked by being doubters. My, my, my followers are primarily marked by being men and women who are witnesses. All right, men and women who are witnesses. He says, uh, you are going to be witnesses. Uh, I'm going to send the promise of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is the helper. So you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to send help, and I am going to send power. You guys know what witnesses are, right? Even the kids know what witnesses are. Kids, you don't have to answer out loud, but have you ever tattled on your sibling? All right, has that ever happened? So when you tattled, you were kind of like a witness, all right? I'm not encouraging tattling or discouraging it. That's for your parents to talk about, all right? Um, but, but witnesses see something, right? Like you see something and you say something. That's what witnesses do. And Jesus says, you're going to be my witness. You know, Luke writes uh, this gospel to tell about the life of Jesus. And he goes on to write the book of Acts to talk about the life of the early church. And, and I've been in Acts recently hanging out there. And you see that Acts is a book of witness, right? That Acts is a book of the theme of it is about God's people who have seen Jesus saying something about him wherever he goes. One of my favorite spots uh, that we see this, Acts chapter 4, right? Peter and John. Peter and John, the same guys that were in this room right here that doubted who Jesus was. Uh, that same Peter and John now in Acts chapter 4 are preaching about this resurrection. And the authorities say, hey, you guys got to cut that out. 
You guys got to stop that. Stop speaking about this Jesus. And I love their response to the authorities there. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We worship a Savior that transforms fearful doubters into bold witnesses. He did it there and then with John and with Peter. He does it now for you and for me that we might go here in Fairfax and Mosaic and our neighborhoods, George Mason, our schools, and that we might see and share what we have heard of Jesus. Jesus makes room for doubters. If you're here this morning, don't think that your doubt makes you unworthy of his love. And don't let your doubt distance you from him. Lean in, ask good questions, seek good answers. Jesus responds to doubters. I don't know what your doubt is, maybe about the goodness of God, maybe about his existence at all, but he will respond. Ask him to open your mind to the scriptures. Ask him to speak to you. Engage God with your doubt. Jesus recommissions doubters. Let's be those that this week we see Jesus in such a way that we can't help but share. You guys realize that it's not a matter of if you are going to see and share something this week. We're all going to do that in little ways and superficial ways and hopefully in substantive ways. Let us be those who seek to see Jesus in such a way that we share him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you do make room for doubters. I'm thankful that you made room for this doubter and that you didn't leave me in my doubt, but that through your word and through your people, uh, you helped me to know who you are. Would you do the very same thing this day and this week? Would you draw doubters to yourself? Would you use those who you've transformed to speak your truth, to see you and share you in this city? that others might come to know your glory and your renown, to know your grace and your love for them. Heavenly Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.